You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you are receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Begin in chapter 5, the last verse of chapter 5, and I, and I left that out last week because I think it actually includes chapter 6. It's kind of a segue verse, so I'll begin there. If you don't have your Bible, the text will be on the screen right behind me. God's Word says this, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've hung around um, an evangelical church for at least a cup of coffee, um, you've likely heard of the term gospel-centered. We use this language around here. Uh, We see it on our website. Now, everyone has their own take of what it means to be a gospel-centered church, right? For example, Redemption Hill Church, being a gospel-centered church right here at Redemption Hill means clinging by faith to the truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ while we also live out the truth, the truth of Christ with our lives. So we want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We, we want to tell people about Jesus. 
As we wrap up the book of Galatians, we can now look back and realize that we've been confronted with what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Like, there's no way you can read Galatians and get away from that. It's answering the fundamental question, what is the gospel? And it's answering the second question, what does that mean for our lives? What do you believe why do you believe what you believe? In Galatians, Paul labors at explaining the gospel and also what is not the gospel. You've seen this time and again, right? This is the gospel. That's not the gospel. This is the gospel, guys. That's not the gospel, which means there's a lot of false gospels out there. Moreover, as we have seen in recent weeks, and again today, God wants us to take what we believe about the gospel wants to take from the head to our hearts to our lives into everyday life. So this morning, um, God's word tells us that living out the Christian life is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm adding this onto that statement, in community, within the context of the local church. Here... Here's what we'll see today and how we're going to wrap up Galatians. Justified Christians. Remember that language of justification from chapter 2? We're justified by faith. Justified Christians walk in the Spirit. Justified Christians sow to the Spirit. And justified Christians remain in the Spirit. What we're essentially talking about is living a gospel-centered life means you're living a Spirit-centered life. Now, I'm convinced that in evangelicalism, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, this idea that the Holy Spirit is in you, Christian, is not spoken about enough. I think this this can be neglected. And we must understand that the Christian life, the gospel-centered life, is a spirit-centered life. Life. So because this is the last message in Galatians, I'm going to show you one more time where we were and how we got to Galatians 6. The central theological tenet of Galatians is that there's only one way a person is justified. The only way a sinful, hell-bound person is made right before a holy, other than, and just God is by faith through Jesus Christ alone. You can't make your way to God or work your way to God. It's only by his sovereign, divine grace in which you are saved. No other way. In the theological world, we've called this the uh, doctrine of justification. That's what Paul was writing about, to defend that. The doctrine of justification is not just to be believed. Like I said, it's to be lived. Therefore, we have also seen in Galatians that followers of Jesus are free. That's Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, what are you free to? You're free to love. Spent a lot of time in the last two weeks talking about that. You're free to love other people. I mentioned in previous weeks that the highest ethic of the Christian life is love. Paul knew this, so he wrote in Galatians 5, for 
is for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or er, circumcision or uncircumcision, excuse me, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then a couple verses later, it says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity of the flesh. Just because you're free doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. But through love, serve one another. You're free to serve your brother and sister in Christ. You're, and also, love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, we saw the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. The first one being love. I don't think that was a mistake. I think Paul is very intentional. And we can go to 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter in the Bible. And I could read the entire thing, but here's just a few verses about love. You're free to love in these ways. Just listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, which we're going to talk about today because it's in Galatians 6. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then we jump down to verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith and hope and love abide. Like these great things that we talk about all the time. Faith, our faith, our hope in God. But the greatest, love. The emphasis of love is the and should be the dominant virtue of every follower of Jesus and informs how we interact with each other in the church. However, here is the deal. Here's the other theme mentioned by Paul since the middle of chapter 5. Your ability to love others is through the Holy Spirit. Your ability to love God and others happens because the Spirit is at work in you. What this means is that the love of a Christian is not founded upon ideas of the world. Like Christian love isn't fickle and uncommitted. Like parents, think about that with your children. Your love for them is not fickle and uncommitted. It is strong and committed. Love isn't unicorns and rainbows either. Christian love is a response the gospel where the Holy Spirit enables you to love in subtle and radical ways so that others can flourish and so that God is glorified. I mean, have you ever wondered why Christians move to a country where their life is on the line? You know, they want to go tell people about Jesus. Like, I'm going I'm to go move there. And they could die. It's because by the power of the Holy Spirit, they love radically. What about the single mom who works nonstop so that her kids can get an education and you want to provide, put food on the table, right? She loves subtly, but that's also radical. And what about the dad who works the nine-to-five grind and then comes home to care for his wife and kids? He does it out of love. Here's the bottom line for today. Spirit-filled people, spirit-filled Christians love in radical and subtle ways. So because I'm tackling a considerable amount of verses, with that kind of as the theme, spirit-filled Christians love in subtle and radical ways, I'm going to give you a couple of headings to kind of guide us through this lengthy text. Uh, the first category, and we're going to talk about walking by the Spirit. What does that mean? Paul gives us some indicators, and he actually uses that language in Galatians 5, but we're going to walk by the Spirit. 
We're also introduced this idea in Galatians 6. We're to sow to the Spirit. What does Paul mean there? And then we need to remain in the Spirit. What I mean by walk by the Spirit is that we're called to walk by the Spirit with one another. That's why I emphasize community and local church. We do that together. Galatians 5.25 is this. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Even more specific, we are called in love to walk by the Spirit here. Walking by the Spirit is humble, which is why Paul continues in verse 26 of chapter 5 to say, Do not be conceited and provoke or envy your brother or sister. These are works of the flesh. When a person is conceited, he has a high opinion of himself, which is ultimately empty and vain. Conceit, as my experience, conceit's oftentimes born out of like insecurity. It's like an opportunity to you know, put somebody down so that you could feel good about yourself. And so conceit and provoking and envy is contrary to love. So Paul makes a turn in verse 1 to show how we are to love another person. Paul's example is raw. He, his example is what goes on in every church since the beginning of the church. He says this, Brothers, if anyone was caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And he adds this caveat, Keep watch of yourself, lest you too be tempted. Just like the biological family, in God's spiritual family, people are dealing with junk. Uh, let's all admit it, that we have junk in our lives. Because of remaining sin, an individual can find himself in ongoing sin. People can get stuck. And when that happens, the most loving way to proceed is to confront the individual. Now that sounds tough, though. However, notice what is said about what it looks like to confront someone who's in a transgression. The person doing the confronting needs to be spiritual. In other words, the spiritual person is living out the fruit of the Spirit. There's a clear awareness that the person is dialed into his relationship with God. Why is this important? A spiritual person can approach a brother or sister in Christ in humility and with the other person's best interest in view. Having the best interest of the other person is critical when it comes to confronting someone like about some perpetual sin. A spiritual person does not come to a brother and sister in Christ to look down on him, but to lift him up. To provide gospel reminders, by God's grace, God uses people in the local church to walk alongside struggling saints so that they will experience restoration through repentance and renewed faith. Also notice how a person is to approach a struggling friend. It's with a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5. You saw that. I like this because being gentle can draw a person in instead of pushing a person away. So let's be honest. Acting like, knowing your word, acting mean. I had a stronger word here. I'll refrain. Acting mean toward a struggling brother or sister in Christ isn't going to win them back, but it's only going to push them away, and sometimes it pushes people right out of the church. There are too many sad and regrettable stories of how this has been done over the years in various churches. Christ-like gentleness. 
must abound when we come alongside a friend caught in a transgression. With this said, avoiding the confrontation isn't an option either. That's not loving. What is being said is that the truth comes with love and gentleness. It's like, I gotta, I gotta talk to you, man. I've been seeing this in your life, and I just want to sit down and talk to you. And you come with love and gentleness. Think about Christ for a moment. The life of Christ. Surely he was a man of truth. He didn't back down from the hard conversation. But he's also an example of gentleness. Think about the woman, the, um, the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Jesus, so that the Pharisees are going after this woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus just basically like, okay, if you, for the one who doesn't have sin, you can cast the stone. And the Pharisees are like, whoops, my bad. You know, they exit the scene. So Jesus is confronting, he's, and he's gentle with the woman when he responds and says, okay, now this, don't sin anymore, go. Truth and gentleness, they work together. So that's a way that we, that we love, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love in this way. We also read in verse 2 and in verses 3 to 5 that walking in the Spirit includes carrying the burdens of others in the church. Again, here's where the proverbial rubber meets the road in the way we live in community with one another. As we look at these verses, consider how this applies, say, in the community groups. If you're in a community group, this can get really applicable. What Paul's saying is that there are times in life where an event or situation can be some, become so huge... It just weighs them down. It can't even get up. You know, cancer hits. A close family or friend dies suddenly. A son or daughter becomes wayward to the faith and wayward to the family. I mean, there are a thousand examples we can give about when a person is feeling the crushing weight of a burden. And it can be assumed that at various points in your life, You will experience suffering. You will experience the weight of a burden. And therefore, you're going to need help carrying that burden. So other members in the church are called to come alongside you and become the burden carrier. Now, it is true that Christians are called to cast their burdens upon the Lord. Psalm Psalm 55, 22 uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. When life is hard, we are to run to Jesus for peace and rest. That is absolutely true. But remember that one of the ways in which God bears our burdens is through each other. It's through human friendship in the church. Some of us are good at carrying the burden of another person, which is a gift. The great reformer Martin Luther said this, Therefore, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones that they may bear flesh, that is, the weakness of their brethren. Now, I also need to say this. Um, Some people have a hard time allowing another person to carry their burden, which can be rooted in pride and self-sufficiency. Wherever you're at on on the spectrum here, Called to be humble. Don't be conceited. Be humble. And uh, 
allow people to care for you when you have a burden and be willing to carry a burden for another. The agenda being pressed by Paul is that God designed us to live in community with one another, which means we have to work at living in a way where we are demonstrating this kind of love. We've got to work at it. There's an area that we can never stop growing in. It is the capacity to love by carrying burdens. May this church, Redemption Hill Church, be marked by the love of Christ, which is demonstrated by a bunch of burden-carrying, Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ. Let's love in radical ways. Take, take note of the second half of verse 2. Bearing the burden of another fulfills the law of Christ. So Paul says, this is in contrast to fulfilling the Old Testament law, which Paul has been talking about from Galatians 1. Once again, by mentioning the law of Christ, Paul is circling back to this highest Christian ethic. Spirit-filled love. This is in Galatians and Romans that fulfilling the law is loving your neighbor as yourself. So once again, we're back to loving and loving well by God's grace. When we get to verses 3 and 5, um, Paul presses further on the importance of humility. And, and I think the reason why he presses on humility is that is how we're able to love. Have you ever met a conceited person who could love rightly? No. Paul's like, well, we've got to be humble. If you think highly of yourself, guess what? It says in verse 3, you're nothing. Before you go about criticizing your brothers about something, how about you test your own heart first, verse 4. And then Paul says in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, you're reading Galatians 6, verses one to five, your contradiction radar may have gone off there. At first blush, uh, you're just like, what? You just told me I got to carry burdens and all this thing about burden carrying. What's going on? I got to carry my own load? What's going on here? It is in these instances where um, the Greek language, which is how the New Testament was written, is really helpful. The Greek word for burden and load are different. If a burden is like a heavy weight on your back, I, I go to the gym, you got those 45-pound weights that people throw around. It's like putting two of those on your back. If that's a burden, then a load is like your backpack. It's like everyday life. So here's what Paul's getting at. If you are staying up until 3 a.m. binging on Netflix, when you work at 7 a.m., guess what? <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> that's on you. You are accountable to God for how you deal with your time. For sure, accountability from friends could help you get back on track, but don't expect anyone to call you every night at 3 a.m. to see if your face is still in front of the TV, the computer, or the iPad. I wondered why Paul understands the need to make this distinction between a person's burden and a person's load, and here's what I surmise, and I think the answer is simple. There's a huge difference, right? between helping a person grieve through tragedy and then calling someone at 3 a.m. to see what episode they're on, right? It's a huge difference. I think God would say, let's, let's, 
help our grieving friend. Sure, you can create accountability structures. You got community groups that help do that. But on, on balance, let's carry the burden of our friend. So walking by the Spirit is a loving and gentle confrontation of a friend caught in a transgression. Walking in the Spirit is carrying the burdens of another. And all this is done in humility. Now in verses 6 to 10, we now read that we are to sow in the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit, now we sow in the Spirit. And we've got agricultural language here. We're sowing and reaping. Here's the general principle at play, and you've all heard it. You reap what you sow. Here's another principle worth remembering from verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Listen, whatever or however you sow, God sees. Public or private, you need to know that God is not deceived. God will not be mocked. I think Paul puts in this startling statement to wake the Galatians up about how they sow. He wants them to sow in the Spirit. You might remember, we had these false teachers coming in. They were sowing into these false teachers. And Paul's like, well, you're going to reap what you sow here. Paul's getting at it. He, he wants you to be mindful about how you use your time, money, and gifts. He wants you to use those things with like a spiritual lens. So Paul gives us a few examples of what sowing in the Spirit looks like. Here's verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches the Word. The word taught in verse 6 literally means catechize. So if you grew up Catholic or Lutheran, you probably heard that word, catechism. That means to teach. The pastor is to, to catechize by teaching the fundamentals of the faith. And the way to teach the fundamentals of the faith is to go back to the Bible over and over and over, to go back to God's Word, right? That's why we open this up every single week. To teach. The pastor is not around to entertain you. You all know I'm not a funny guy. And that's, I'm kind of okay with it. You know? It's cool. I'm not hip and trendy. Like, this is nothing, there's nothing on me right now that's hip or trendy. I'm not here to entertain. There's enough of that going around in evangelicalism. Pastor's not a political advisor. Pastor's not a celebrity. When the elections get hot and heavy, don't come to me. Not your advisor. Hopefully you'll never see me on YouTube. I don't want to be a celebrity. Pastor is a teacher. And the Bible also says the pastor is a shepherd. The pastor is to care for your soul. If I were to die... And this church plant is to continue. My prayer and hope is that there will be a pastor to teach you and to care for your soul. In Paul's day, giving to the one who teaches came in the form of you know, chickens, goats, and money. Um, these days, giving financially to the local churches, how this verse is applied. Uh, the Powers family already has chickens. Don't need chickens. 
And I don't want a goat because my girls will put a dress on the goat. point is plain. Members in a local church are to give to the one who teaches the word. Why? It goes back to sowing. We sow. Um, you know, when you talk about this, especially when you're like a church plant, it's I try to make my point in such a way where I'm not serving my best interests. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. Right? I'm very aware of that. but it's important because God's word says it. It is a matter of considering how your soul is being cared for. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, Matthew 6, 21. Listen, we all know that how a person uses money demonstrates what they value. And the question is, do you value the spiritual things in your life? If so, you respond appropriately. You do not react to tradition or obligation, but you react because you love the gospel, you love growing in the gospel, and you love seeing the gospel go forth locally and, and globally. That's one way to sow in the Spirit. Also notice the difference between sowing in the flesh and sowing in the Spirit in verse 8. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. It is as if Paul's just kind of stating the obvious here. You know, if you touch the burner on the stove when it's hot, guess what's going to happen? Second and third degree burns. If you sow by reading your Bible or praying, guess what? You will grow in your understanding and relationship with God. If you don't read the word or pray, well, guess what? You won't grow. It's amazing just how simple this is, but true, right? It's like stating the obvious, but if you're anything like me, you need the obvious stated over and over and over and over and over again. So do not give up on sowing to the Spirit. Even if you don't see the results right away, you should be encouraged because in time, in this life or the next it says you will reap what you have sown. Another way to sow to the Spirit is by doing good to others, especially good to those in the church. Paul got this phrase, the household of faith. I take that to mean the local church. Here's what went through my mind when I read verse 10. The Spirit-filled life is not always fireworks. Uh, the Spirit-filled life isn't always seen when the gifts of the Holy Spirit are on display in the local church, you know, like prophecy, speaking of tongues, um, miracles, healings. Now, while I'm convinced the Bible tells us the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, the Spirit-filled life is often seen by the good we extend toward others. The Spirit-filled life is more subtle in its outward expression than we give credit for. And there are always, always, always opportunities for you to do good I read a story about a woman who expressed to her pastor that there needs to be more signs and wonders in the church. You know? She said that she just hadn't seen enough. The pastor responded, I love this. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to save this someday. He responded, ma'am, over there sits a lady who has been evicted from her apartment with her children. I would consider it a sign and wonder 
if you would take them into your house to live for three months. What goodness. Extending good to others. I'm not dismissing sign and wonders. Don't hear that. If you know me long enough, you know where I stand on that. But acts of goodness and charity are what it looks like to sow to the Spirit. I appreciate David Platt's thoughts on verse 10. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see God do extraordinary things. There's nothing wrong with that. But do not overlook and undervalue how the Spirit usually works in our lives through the practical deeds of love for others, especially deeds performed within the household of faith. You know, let me put this in the context of a Sunday morning. Every time we gather together, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people are extending goodness to one another. Every single Sunday, it is amazing to watch. It's a privilege to be a part of. People get here early. They stay late, setting up chairs, taking them down. And then between Monday and Saturday, good is being extended to one another in various ways. People need meals, an encouraging word, just to sit down with someone with a cup of coffee who just needs to unburden themselves. Goodness is being extended in so many ways. And that means the this, this Spirit is indeed in you and working through you so that you can love radically. It's a good word from Platt. Let's not overlook and undervalue what God is doing right in front of us. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is miraculously ordinary. Again, Paul is pulling from fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, and God's word is, in, is encouraging us to extend goodness toward others. So, we need to walk in the Spirit, we need to sow to the Spirit. As you've probably picked up by now, these two categories have relational components, how we treat each other, how we care for one another in the context of the local church. Now this last category, verses 11 to 17, is more personal in the sense we're getting back to the gospel. Paul gets back to the primary purpose of why he wrote Galatians, to remind the Galatians of the gospel. It is the gospel that causes you to remain in the Spirit. So throughout the book of Galatians, we've read about Paul's passion for the gospel and for his friends in Galatia. We see him express his love one more time in verse 11. This just kind of seemed bizarre, but I'm going to explain it here in a moment. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. In the first century, a, a letter writer dictated to a scribe who did the writing. A scribe was basically a professional position. The scribe was trained to write small in order to maximize parchment. Parchment was kind of like their form of paper, and it was valuable. And scribes, we're going to maximize that parchment. It seems to me in verse 11 that Paul takes the pen and parchment away from his scribe, and he writes personally. 
He wants to make a point. He wants the Galatians to know his love for them. He wants the Galatians to consider everything he has said throughout his letter, especially as it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These final verses in Galatians are its own sermon. I have some regret for not dividing this out, but it's too late. However, things be as they may, let's see what it looks like to remain in the Spirit. Verse 14 and 15 get right to the point. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. A person who lives the spirit-filled life does not boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. What this means is that humility is a mark of the Christian life. Why? When it comes down to it, we're nothing. Our sin makes us wretched. Our works, apart from Christ, are meaningless. Therefore, when we look at our lives, there is nothing to boast about. This is so contrary to what you hear from the world, from the culture. We're told, yeah, go ahead and boast. And you know what? Do it loudly. Get on Facebook. Write what you think. Tell everyone what's going on. Boast, 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 boast. The world tells you to put yourself first. And all this is contrary to what we read in Galatians 6. We boast in Jesus. He is our all in all. He is the life. He is the resurrection. The beginning of rightly boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ is to see that you have nothing to boast about in yourself. Therefore, we need to rip away our pride, move toward humility, and thank God for his mercy grace and love. His mercy and grace and love which he poured out through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God keeps us in the spirit because of faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more significant and nothing else worth boasting in. May Jesus be our boast when uh, we're at home with family, when uh, you're at work, when we're in church, maybe look to Christ at all times and say, it is Jesus. It's all for Jesus. The book of Galatians kind of wrap up here. The book of Galatians is about what it means for you to be saved. But before is about your salvation. Remember this. It's first about God. It is about what God has done in Christ. It is about what God continues to do through the Holy Spirit. And you, Christian, have the honor and privilege to glorify God for all that he has done and continues to do in your life. 
Namely, because of the freedom we have in Christ, we get to love each other well, love each other radically and subtly. And we do it for our good and for the honor and glory of God. Let's pray.